Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. On the Science Revolution this week, Beyond Nuclear's Kevin Camps drops by on the 10th anniversary of the Fukushima crisis, just like the COVID pandemic. Opinion on Fukushima is split between those who are horrified by the health risks and those who are worried about the economic damage that nuclear power does. Investigative journalist Greg Pallas drops by on how Stacey Abrams is showing real courage in Georgia with her opposition to the Vogel nuclear plant, the last and only nuclear plant under construction in the U.S. She opposes charging Georgians ruinous electric bills to finish it. Also in Geeky Science, good news on CBD. There's a new report out showing it reduces plaque and improves cognition in rats with Alzheimer's. And hopefully soon studies will start on humans. Stay tuned. Well, today, in addition to being the one-year anniversary of the declaration of a pandemic by the World Health Organization, is the 10-year anniversary of the Fukushima meltdown in Japan, which has now affected the entire world. Contaminated water is continuing to go into the Pacific Ocean and bioaccumulating through the food chain into things like giant fish that we eat here even. Let's do a reality check on that and, and what's actually going on with Kevin Camps the nuclear waste specialist at beyondnuclear.org. Beyond Nuclear, by the way, is the Twitter handle. Kevin, welcome back to the program. So where are we at 10 years out? Actually, before we even do that, perhaps we should just recap exactly what happened 10 years ago today. Sure. There was a 9.0 earthquake off the Fukushima coastline that sent a 45-foot-tall tsunami crashing into this six-reactor complex. And luckily, three of the reactors were not operating that day. They were defueled. But the three that were operating over the course of the next several days melted down, exploded with massive hydrogen gas explosions, and like you said, released a very large amount of hazardous, deadly radioactivity into the environment, into the air, into the Pacific Ocean, all across Japan. But those radioactive waste streams now in the environment would reach North America within days via the air and then would rain down with rain and snow. And then in the ocean currents, it took some months, but eventually that plume of radioactivity in the Pacific did reach North America as well. So we've been living with 10 years of this hemorrhaging of hazardous ionizing radioactivity into the environment. The worst of it was at the beginning, but there have been some increases with accidents, with tempests hitting the site in the decade since. I read in the news that Japan is saying that there has been no explosion, probably bad choice of words, but no increase, discernible increase in cancers and thyroid diseases and things like that as the direct result of Fukushima perhaps outside of us, very small area. Am I remembering that right? Am I reading that right? And if so, what's the reality here? Tokyo Electric Power Company, the Japanese government, even the United Nations Scientific Committee on the Effects of Atomic Radiation, UNSCEAR, 
And it's no surprise. We saw similar behavior by the Soviet government, by the United Nations pro-nuclear agencies after Chernobyl began. So it's a constant battle for the truth, as Dr. John Goffman warned after Chernobyl. Concerned citizens, environmental groups have to battle with these official agencies over the truth. And sure enough, there have been clear signs of thyroid pathology in Japanese children that the powers that be try to deny has anything to do with the radioactivity. If they acknowledge them at all, they say, oh, it couldn't be due to this nuclear catastrophe. It must be something else. And we've even seen that kind of behavior by the French government, by the British government, near reprocessing facilities and nuclear power plants, for example. They say, yeah, we're seeing childhood leukemia, but boy, we just can't attribute it to the nuclear activities in the area. How could that possibly be? It's a real whitewashing, to put it politely. Now, the most widely prescribed drug in the United States right now, or at least this was the case two, three years ago when I I read a really good research piece on this, Synthroid, which is a replacement basically for a hormone that's produced by the thyroid gland that indicates a failure of the thyroid gland. And it seems like it's most widely consumed by people over 30 or 40, people who would have been alive or nearly alive at the time that the United States was starting their above-ground nuclear testing. Has there ever been a correlation, a proved correlation, between thyroid disease in the United States and the above-ground nuclear tests back in the 1950s and early 60s? And if so, would that correlation be the kind of thing that they're seeing in Japan right now as well? Yes, there was, after decades of nuclear weapons testing, finally an acknowledgement in the 1990s by the National Cancer Institute of thyroid disease and cancer attributable to nuclear weapons fallout in the United States. The thing is, in the days and weeks after a nuclear catastrophe like a reactor meltdown, radioactive iodine-131 that is highly volatile and travels throughout the environment and gets into cow's milk, for example, the the best thing to do is to avoid contaminated cow's milk. But um, another thing you can do is take um, potassium iodide which will saturate your um, thyroid gland and not allow the radioactive iodine to enter. But unfortunately, in Belarus, there was no distribution because there was a cover-up. The Soviet government was trying to pretend like nothing had happened. And we saw similar behavior in Japan, incredibly, 10 years ago, a, a pretense that nothing was wrong when tap water in Tokyo was contaminated with radioactive iodine because the reservoirs were receiving fallout from the nuclear disaster. So that distribution of potassium iodide would make a big difference and did in a place like Poland, for example, in 1986, where it was distributed. But even here in in the United States, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the nuclear power industry for decades has dragged its feet on having pre-deployed potassium iodide. And then, like you said, once the damage is done, all that can be done is um, therapeutics once your thyroid gland is dysfunctional. So that's when Synthroid will come into the picture. I actually have a personal acquaintance who was born near Hanford Nuclear Reservation in Washington State without a thyroid gland. Um, Incredibly, her thyroid gland was probably nipped in the bud when she was um, a fetus in her mother's womb. And she's had to live on Synthroid her entire life, which is a huge thing. In Belarus, for example, which is a a poor country, it is not easy to get a hold of uh, Synthroid. But there are lots of people who have thyroid pathology because of Chernobyl. 
I know several people who are on this, including my wife, uh, and have been for decades. And, and, you know, we're all suspicious that this just tracks back to those above-ground tests, you know, back when we were children. On the 10th anniversary of Fukushima, what are the lessons learned that Americans need to know about? And to what extent are we not learning from that experience here in America? Well, we've seen what this particular reactor design at Fukushima is capable of, a general electric Mark I boiling water reactor. Mark IIs are very similar. We have a couple, three dozen of those still operating in the United States. They need to be shut down before they melt down. But I would hasten to add that other reactor designs, pressurized water reactors, have their own pathways to meltdown. We saw that at Three Mile Island. So we really need to abolish nuclear power before it continues to turn time zones into dead zones, like at Fukushima, like at Chernobyl. It's a small planet. A nuclear accident anywhere is a nuclear accident everywhere. But what about nuclear is so green, it doesn't produce carbon pollution? Talk to the Navajo Diné and the Pueblo in New Mexico who have lived with the aftermath of uranium mining for more than a half century. It was never cleaned up with dramatic impacts on the health of their communities. Yeah, this is not a clean form of power. This is not a green form of power. And uh, Helen Caldicott was on this program a decade ago, and she said that it, you know, it takes 15 or 20 years before a nuclear power plant produces any carbon-free electricity because of all the carbon involved in mining, transportation, refining, and the concrete for the, uh, for the outside of it. So, you know, it all adds up. Kevin Camps, and nuclear waste specialist. Yes, amen. Kevin Camps, nuclear waste specialist with beyondnuclear.org. Beyond Nuclear is also the Twitter handle. Kevin, thank you. It's always great talking with you. I appreciate you dropping by today. Thanks, Tom. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Tom Harbin here with you. Uh, we were just talking with Kevin Camps about Fukushima and what happened and the consequences of it, by and large, you know, of all this radiation that, that swept over Japan and all over the world and when the plume got to the United States and how it's contaminated our air and our water and our food supply. Right now on the line with us is a guy who you all know, my buddy, Greg Pallas, the investigative journalist, our buddy, I should say. I think, you know, a lot of people feel like he's their friend. And uh, his latest book, How Trump Stole 2020, which is still a good read. It's a damn good read. GregPalace.com is website. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Palace. Greg, welcome back. I did not know until I saw it in one of your books 
and you'll have to remind me which one it was, that you were one of the guys who did some of the investigative work into Fukushima. Yes. Well, what people don't know is before as a reporter, I had a real job. That is, I was the chief investigator of racketeering in the nuclear industry for the Justice Department back in the big racketeering trial industry in 1988. And I also, the reason I knew about Texas last week when we were talking is that I wrote the United Nations Guide to Controlling the Power Industry. That's my old work. So when Fukushima went, I put together the team to go through the racketeering team from the industry. Because remember, these are U.S. built and designed plants. This is important, Tom, because there is a nuclear plant under construction in the state of Georgia, and there's a courageous woman fighting it. Her name is Stacey Abrams, in case you haven't heard of her. That's a real courageous position, by the way. Just yeah, because you've got construction unions who want to have that plant built, and they're fighting her. Yes, and also a guy named Brian Kemp, who surprisingly picked a crazy woman named Kelly Leffler as U.S. Senate. Even Trump was surprised. Well, he didn't check. She's on the board of Georgia Power, which owns the Votal Nuclear Plant. They are the big money behind Brian Kemp and the big money behind trying to defeat Stacey Abrams. It's the nuclear surprise, industry which has gone out after Stacey Abrams. You have to understand this. It's not just the uh, you know, GOP vote thieves. So here's what happened really in Fukushima. You hear, you heard on the radio, oh, they didn't expect an earthquake of this size. Baloney. Okay, let me give you a couple quick numbers. This is not uh, too technical. The plants were supposedly rated for 436 Galileos of motion. Forget the Richter scale. That's just a TV number, you know, 9.0, et cetera. When plant number two, reactor number two at Fukushima was hit with a 550 Galileo earthquake. That's the real measure. They were rated for only 436 they said, that's the PR. The Japanese nuclear regulators had told Tokyo Electric Power, you've got to upgrade this thing to 600 Galileos of protection against earthquake. It's called seismic qualification. Every nuclear plant in the world has to have that SQ. Fukushima did not live up to their required protection against earthquakes. And then on top of it, well, what happened to those emergency diesel generators? Well, we were told they were flooded, so they didn't work. Excuse me, in 1985, we have the memos, they were warned that they have to flood protect their diesel generators. Only Germany was the only place that actually took that to heart and actually protected their generators. So you have an emergency, but you have the emergency backup, which is not set for an emergency. But don't worry, Tom, because those diesel generators couldn't work anyway. That's why they broke down. I don't, the evidence is that, they, that the water never reached them. But the real issue is that those diesel generators can't work. These are gigantic machines, but a lot of them are literally taken off old cruise ships. They're supposed to go from zero to 4,000 RPM in 10 seconds in an emergency. Now, you have to understand, you ever see a cruise ship leave dock at 200 miles an hour? No. And so what happens is that they, they break. There's only been one full-scale emergency test of generators, diesel generators, at a nuclear plant. That was at the Shoreham plant. And all three generators, we call them snap, crackle, and pop. When they, in an emergency test, a real emergency test, all three snapped, one in a few minutes and then the others over a couple of hours. Because is it the axles? they're not designed, they're not designed to, to actually go from zero to four thousand RPM. That's impossible. Cold start with these old diesel generators, and so they might as well have put Christmas tinsel around the nuclear plant. But here's the—it's not just Japan. That's the system used at every nuclear plant in the United States and Europe. 
is the backup of these diesel generators. They're more decoration than safety. That's the big problem. And we'd say, well, well, one, we still have you know dozens of nuclear plants running. They're getting they're being decommissioned, but they're literally building this crazy plant in Georgia. And it's uh, besides it being uh, a threat, it's going to bankrupt the state, and that's why Stacey Abrams is against it. It's going to bankrupt the the, uh, the ratepayers to build this um, expensive, right. dangerous tea kettle. That's absolutely amazing. Greg, you constantly blow my mind by the stuff that you know that I had no idea that you know, and the things that you have done enough. in your life. Yeah, there you go. Greg Pallast, one of the best, investigative journalist, author of his latest book, How Trump Stole 2020. He's got a lot of great books out there, by the way. GregPallast.com for all the info. And you can sign up for his newsletter, too. Greg, thanks so much for dropping by. Great talking with you. The best, Tom. Thank you. Back at you. This geeky science just blew my mind. Now, first of all, the caveats. This was published in Genetics, Neurology, Neuroscience, and also the research came out of the Dental College of Georgia. And you say, What? Dentistry is part of medicine, and they do actual medical research there, and and some very sophisticated research, actually. And they decided to look into the other caveat. They decided to look into the mouse model with Alzheimer's. There's a genetic peculiarity that some very small number of humans have that causes them to develop Alzheimer's in their 20s and 30s. It's very rare. But they've identified the specific gene that causes this. And it produces the same kind of amyloid plaque neurofibrillary tangles in the brain um, that are characteristic of Alzheimer's that develops in people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And so they thought, okay, let's, let's, and so they were able to breed these mice with the same genetic lack. Uh, this hole that, that humans have who have this early onset Alzheimer's problem. And then with those mice, they gave them CBD to see what happens. And it wasn't you know, just that simple. Hey, let's throw some CBD at some mice. They were specifically looking at a couple of proteins, the TREM2 protein and the IL33 protein. These proteins are used by the brain to basically do cleanup, you know, like the guy who walks behind the elephant in the circus, they take dead cells in the brain. The brain is constantly, you know, turning over cells just like every other organ in the body. Cells have a limited lifetime, especially neurons. And I mean, there's some cell, the glial cells, you know, last a little longer, but uh, in fact, a lot longer. But, but um, so it's like these proteins are involved in that cleanup process. And when the cleanup process fails, that seems to be one of the signals or one of the, one of the main kind of hallmarks of Alzheimer's because then these, these proteins start building up in the brain and you get these plaques and, and then you know, uh, it, it begins with loss of short-term memory, uh, loss of long-term memory, um, loss of, of the ability to walk normally. There's gait changes and all these changes you see in mice. And what they, what they found was that CB, and, and also the protein IL-6, which regulates inflammation. And it appears that one of the other problems in Alzheimer's is that this IL-6 protein kind of goes nuts and produces an inflammatory response in the brain. There is one theory that this might be in response to a virus or some, some other kind of invasion of the brain. But the IL-6 protein goes nuts, and as a result, you know, boom, you've got a bunch of uh, the response to inflammation is killing tissues and you've got a bunch of dead tissue and then the TREM2 and the IL-33 proteins can't do their job. Um, and, I'm, and I'm probably horribly mangling the science here, but, you know, of, of the layman's reading that I'm doing this. 
um, uh, lays this out. So, so what does CBD do? Well, CBD improves the expression of the triggering receptor expressed on myeloid cells. That's the TREM2 uh, protein, which is found on the cell surface, where it combines with another protein to transmit signals that activate cells, including immune cells. Um, these are key to, invading, to eliminating invaders like a virus or, or irrevocably damaging neurons. Low levels of the TREM2 protein and rare variations in TREM2 are associated with Alzheimer's. And that was the case in their mouse models. Both TREM2 and IL-33 were low. Both are essential to a natural ongoing housekeeping process in the brain called phagocytosis, if I'm pronouncing that right, in which micro, microglial cells uh, regularly consume beta amyloid, which is regularly produced in the brain. This is the stuff that builds up. So what they found was, uh, for the Fuller studies, CBD was put into the belly of the mice every other day for two weeks. This was fairly high dose to the mice. We don't have human dose information. We haven't even tried this on humans yet. But they, they conclude CBD should be at least equally effective in the more common non-familial type of Alzheimer's. This is the, this is the summary. A two-week course of CBD helps normalize and restore the function of two proteins associated with reducing amyloid beta accumulation in mouse models of familial Alzheimer's disease. In other words, a genetically transmitted Alzheimer's disease. CBD also reduces the levels of IL-6, an immune protein associated with inflammation seen in Alzheimer's patients. I think this is astonishing. CBD, of course, is a component of marijuana, but you can also buy it legally now in the United States. A few years ago, Congress essentially legalized hemp and its products, and that includes CBD. And so there's no shortage of companies that are happy to sell it to you. And it doesn't get you high. And in fact, it's become you know super hip now. They, they make skin creams with CBD. <laughs> the caveat, this is a mouse study. They haven't done this on humans. Uh, that said, just my own personal opinion, this is, this is not you know the, the hard science. Um, but it appears that there are very few side effects, if any, associated with CBD use. And if this can ward off Alzheimer's, this could be a game changer. You know, I really hope that this uh, research is replicated in humans. I'll be astonished if it's not. Yeah, I just wanted to share it with you. That's all for this week's Science Revolution. You can find the video portions of the Science Revolution on YouTube and check out our Facebook page.